Hello, and thank you for listening to the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal podcast. The Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal is co-sponsored by the Association of Mathematics Teacher Educators and the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. My name is Eva Thanheiser, and today I'm talking with Joel Amadon, Anne-Marie Marshall, and Rebecca Smith. We will be discussing the article, Are We Preparing Agents of Change or Instruments of Inequity? Teaching Toward Anti-Racist Math Teacher Education, published in the June 2023 issue of the Mathematics Teacher Educator Journal. We will begin by summarizing the main points of the article and discuss in more depth the lessons they shared in the article, their successes and challenges, and how these lessons relate to their other work. Can you all briefly introduce yourselves? My name is Joel Amadon, and I am a professor in the Department of Teacher Education at the University of Mississippi. And I am Anne-Marie Marshall. I should state that when I started writing this article, I was faculty member at Levin College, but now I am the team leader for research and evaluation in the Center for Math and Science Education Research at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. Hi, and I'm Rebecca Smith. I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Teaching, Learning, and Leadership at the University of North Alabama. And just like Anne-Marie, when I started this project, I was also in a different role. I was a graduate instructor at the University of Mississippi. Just shows how long it takes from starting an article to talking about it on a podcast, right? <laughs> All right, let's jump into the questions. Can you give us a brief summary of the article? Again, this has been a while. So like to talk about the beginning of the article now, but just to say the the main things is like having these sort of premises of that there's no neutral when it comes to the teaching of mathematics and that math teacher educators need to do something with regards to teaching towards having a more equitable, just, loving math classrooms out in the world and math teacher educators have a role in that. And so this is a, an article about why we should step in that space and a our attempt to step into that space and be intentional with a learning module that we we're calling agents of change or instruments of inequity learning module and just some things that we were learned not only from students that have engaged within it or, or evidence of what students might have learned engaging with it and then what we as math teacher educators learned in the long process of enacting refining sharing and continue to do that so not saying that this is an exemplar but just saying hey this was an attempt at doing something and seeing what what we can do in going towards anti-racist mathematics teacher education. How'd I do? Well done, Joel. Yeah, that was a very nice summary. I just read the article yesterday and I was so impressed by it. So I'm excited to talk to you all. Our next question is, who should read this article? Who did you write this for? I think it was for for me, thinking about this article, is who I remember having it. So I was part of STAR and I remember having conversation with some of my STAR cohort and they're talking about the things that they're doing. They talk about the things that I was doing. And they're like, man, I want to be more intentional with that, about teaching towards towards equity. They're just putting that as a, a quotation out there, teaching towards equity. And I'm like, well, the things you're doing that you're already doing in your classroom, you just don't have it named yet. You don't have it like, or, and then once you have a name, then you're like, okay, I've named it, but it's it could be better towards those aims. And now how do we improve that? So because I think, I don't know, I don't say scared, but they just, maybe it is scared about stepping into the space and doing something wrong and being like, hey, you need to step in the space. And then how do we you know, do it 
by being informed and intentional. We talked about this idea towards the end of the article of critical grace about if as long attempting to step in and learn and continue to improve and informing yourself towards doing things that towards more equitable outcomes and wanting better classrooms for your teachers to to be a part of, then this could be maybe the push towards doing that. I think it can also show an example of folks from different places coming together to do this work well. I hope we did it well. It feels like we did it well. But, you know, we walked into the this sort of project and there was a lot of grace for each other. There was a lot of humility, right? I think we all learned a lot and but we also and we all we all three of us at certain points would show up and say, yeah, well I messed that up. And we were able to have this community where we talked about, all right, so now what? So what are we going to do tomorrow when we walk into class? What do we have to what do we have to undo? But I think so many of us, at least I for sure have been at places where I'm the only elementary math educator or the only math educator in a community where, right, you're like the critical, the person that people are sort of looking to. And so to have conversations with colleagues in a safe place about what do I do? How do I do it? What do I do when I mess up was like, I think really important for all of us that are, you know, in our trajectories. And for me, I think it's a great piece for novice teacher educators to read. That's where I was in the midst of this. I was definitely the the new kid on the block. I was new to teacher education. I was new to research. I was new to formulating words to have a more critical stance in education. And my co-authors became my friends and my mentors through this because they gave me that space for grace, where sometimes I say things, I'm, I mean well in my heart, but it doesn't always come out right in my mouth for personal growth. And I think that is reflected in the article that because we did have this, this safe community among the three of us through the project, I think for me, it was definitely an area of growth in my stance as a critical educator. It was an area of growth for me in my professional world and even just as a researcher. And I think this article conveys that no matter where you are, like Anne-Marie saying, is, is having that community around you and being willing to move forward and be willing to embrace hard things and be reflective and think critically. I especially think as a novice um, teacher educator that this is a good piece to say, hey, we've been here. Come join the work. You're safe and let's all grow together. This reminds me a lot of a book that Courtney Kessler and I are editing right now for AMTE that is like creating community to discuss equity. So I think the theme that's coming out in that book too is that these spaces are really important. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I think this is a really nice example of how to collaborate even across different like grad student and professor and different institutions. I think that's one of the upsides of COVID, right? Is we all learned how to collaborate much, much better with people across. So our next question is, what is the important problem or issue that your article addresses? I think it's, what do I do? Where do I start? If you wanted to, someone during the pandemic who read Irma X. Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist, and you're like, Yep, I know I need to take action to push towards being anti-racist, right? I need to make those continuous decisions to do that. Okay, what could that look like? It could be, this could be something, 
right? This could be something that you could start with, right? Is like this module or a piece, there's little pieces or activities within a module that you could do. Or we also list a bunch of other resources that could be useful towards doing something towards those ends. When we set out, we were like, ooh, we wanted to create materials. We wanted to create like this thing, which we did, right? And we we had opportunities to make it better. And so we do have an example of mm-hmm. a lesson, set of lessons and activity, but it was sort of the other things that became as important that we learned and thinking about what does it mean to be in a space and be critical, but also critical grace, right? What does it mean? We're not going to be soft with each other. We're not going to let things slide that we shouldn't. We're still going to hold each other accountable. And certainly we we learned some things about our students through the research aspect. But yeah, the task is one thing, but all the other stuff was, I think, just as important that came out of it, the project. And I also think another key takeaway is because we were in settings, but yet teaching the same types of love, that no matter where you perceive your students to be, that there is still this obligation as a math teacher educator to open up to those critical conversations and have those tasks that are enlightening or revealing so that we can engage in those conversations. So no matter your students' backgrounds, those pre-service teachers' backgrounds, as math teacher educators, that we obliged to take those steps forward. And like Joel was saying, you have to start somewhere. Everyone knows I love a vignette. So we started the article with a vignette, the story of what someone could be like staring at the syllabus and thinking like, how do I do better with what my plans are for this semester? And I think that is the drive here. How can we do better? Because we need to do better. Yeah, I think your article is really helpful at like various levels, even if I've never done anything. Like, how do I even start on putting some anti-racist things into my classroom? What does that even mean? And or like, how do I go in more depth? And you have a whole like module that is available with your article as well. That's in an appendix as well as on the website that is really cool to use. So let's jump into our next question, which is how does your work build on the existing work in the field? You can even start from the the premise. I just, I remember having these conversations with, and Courtney, Matt Felton Kessler and Courtney Kessler, like just about this idea of no neutral and then getting reinforced with that by reading stuff by Gustine and Peterson and their Rethinking Mathematics book. And just like, I think that is the foundation, like that whole idea of no neutral and that's coming to terms with that. All right. So if that's the case, now what? And so building off that work and then looking at the rethinking mathematics work of like having ideas about how to proceed with this stuff. We list the teach math groups stuff. I feel like we could just list <laughs> the whole reference. I'm wondering if, if you could say a few more words, what you mean by no neutral. Neutral. There's just no. Even like you think about the most problem that like we're just doing some basic fluency sort of stuff within our classroom right now. If the common thing is, well, if you have three candies and two candies, how many candies do you have all together? The simple problem like that. And I know Courtney, and I don't know if she has the co-authors that has one article or a chapter about puppy dogs and ice cream and stuff like on context for problems. I can't remember the exact title. Just having that, those contexts and thinking like, just even candies, that's not neutral, right? To say kids know about candy. Well, 
We have an obesity epidemic. Should we really be talking about candy? Just like the fact is like, we think about this problem that we've heard a thousand times. And now the fact is this context, should you really use that as a context? Why can we use something else? And Gutstein and Peterson in their, in Rethinking Mathematics, they would talk about a context like similarly where, hey, this could be candies, or we could talk about the wages that are being earned by sweatshop (laughs) workers that have made the clothes that are on your back, right? And it's the same numbers are being used, just a completely different context. So yeah, there's... (laughs) There's people are like, oh yeah, there's definitely no neutral. That's not a neutral context. Well, neither is this one that you think that we just commonly pass out into our classrooms. And I also think it's sort of, you're making an intentional decision if you're going to talk about, I don't know, we'll pick candy if that feels neutral. I don't know what would be even more neutral than that. But you are making a statement when you choose to to engage in math that's that is sort of seemingly that the context is seemingly neutral. We were able to take Dan Beatty's article, which sort of that's the context here that we're using in the actual module was data from his piece, which is certainly we could have picked something more neutral, but we chose to sort of dig into this idea of the data from his piece about um, now his um, investment in whiteness, right? So what mm-hmm. kinds of math classes do students have access to and what does that mean in terms of their trajectory in life and opportunities later? So I think that also is another part of it, like choosing the context intentionally is not neutral. Well, even just to bounce off that real quick, the way that you were just referred to that, Henry, like the classes that they have access to versus sometimes I think I've referred to it, the, the last class that they have taken right? So, oh, that was a choice that they took versus, no, did they even have access to it? Just right there, then we see there's no neutral and even (laughs) just the reference to that data. Yeah, I like to think of it in a way of depending on what you choose to include is how you shape the image of what mathematics is and who is represented, right? And Mm -hmm. that can be all different. So let's talk about your innovation. What did you do and how did that address a problem of practice? For us, like we've said, it began with just us needing to explore this way to move forward. Where we are now, we know we need to propel forward. And so it was, I don't want it to be streamlined down to this being a curricular decision. This wasn't just, hey, we want to make a really good task and publish it. It's not it at all. It was what types of tasks can be used in a math methods class to initiate these discussions? What contexts can we bring into a math methods class to open the door for spaces to have these conversations with our students? Doing so, the problem of practice was, I can't speak for everyone, but for me is I had to address my own personal need for growth. And sometimes that's difficult, especially like at the time of grad student, I was somewhat intimidated. I was somewhat ignorant in the facts of some things that were out there because I wasn't yet well-read. Still, I'm not as well-read as I would like to be. So the problem for a problem practice there is, as a math teacher educator, my need for growth was happening at the same time as me recognizing my students' need for growth. And then it wasn't like I had to get it all together first, and then I could become a better math teacher educator. That for it happened and had to happen simultaneously. That I was recognizing my own need for growth, my own need to challenge my beliefs from before, challenge myself to this idea of no neutral. Because two or three years prior to that thought never entered my head, 
And so this idea that, yes, we are pushing our students toward growth in a more critical mindset, but simultaneously we are calling ourselves to a higher standard and surrounding ourselves with strong communities to see that personal and professional growth as well. Well, I think too, there was a, on top of that is like when we had this article and I remember talking to Dan about this article and the data that was in it. And I mean, in the article we talk about, this could have been just two slides in a math methods class. Like, hey, look, there's, there's a problem here with this idea about access to math classes and what that means for students' academic and economic opportunities moving forward, right? You could have just said that versus having it as a, like this complex, what we eventually created was this complex instruction task where the students are making these realizations about, wow, look, there's something to miss here and teachers have a role in it. And what is my role possibly going to be? Is it, could I, and then we came up with the idea of you can be an agent of change or an instrument of equity, inequity. So that idea of being no neutral, not just in math, in a math problem, but as me as a math teacher, like there's, we were, had this you know discussion, like what would be a neutral math teacher? Like there's no neutral math teacher. You're either helping or you're hurting. And so thinking about what does that look like and how do we get that realization to come out through not only the data that is revealed through the activity that's from Dan's article, but then also too, some of the students' own stories and some of the other things that we expose them to. And it comes out like in the discussions that they have. And so, I don't know, I've just seen like being exposed to some of Rico Gutstein's work on teaching math for social justice. We like, what does it look like to teach math methods for social justice and, and trying to do that within here? Initially, it was you know, just recruiting Anne-Marie and, hey, you want to try something? And she's like, yeah, let's do it. So having a thought. I want to follow up with that because I think I wanted to go back a little bit to your question about like how we, maybe it was like how we got started or, you know, the process. And it really was a conversation. Joel and I were at a NCTM together, something. I, I mean, it was so long ago, right? But it was just, and I, what a gift that we just had some space to talk. And I think that's, I don't want to lose sight of that. Like we, we were having conversations about our teaching and how things were going and it was a very, hey, you want to think together about this? And we sort of went from there. And I think, Joel, you that's when you had shared Dan Beatty's piece with me. And we thought, oh, there's something in this that feels really powerful. How could we use his work to really create something important for our students? And at that point, you, I think you were either... Becky was just starting or somewhere along the way. And you really wanted to also support her as coming along the journey with us. And yeah, so I feel like I wanted to just point that out because I think we can so often we get caught up in the day-to-day work at our institution and we don't have opportunity sometimes to just be in a space to think about things with people that we want to think about them with. And a figure in your paper, I'd like you to talk a little bit about, and it goes from no neutral to do something. And it has four steps, critical learning, relational learning, technical learning, and learning bandwidth. Could you talk a little bit about that? And if you want to mix that with actually talking about the task as well, I'm going to ask you about that also. Yeah. Wow. The hours that went into that. (laughs) <laughs> that tiger discussion. So yeah, that's at the bottom of page 175, I believe, in the article. But so yeah, the no neutral to do something. And so 
this again, we've gone through several iterations of this and getting feedback from folks, but we always had this thing about think about stance and strategy, stance, stance. and strategy. Yeah. yeah. And mm-hmm. so, but then it, it lined up with this idea of the no neutral like stance, like leading that into like actually then into action. And so thinking about the different things that we were confronting, like with the idea of the critical learning aspect. And so the idea is about there is you as a math teacher make a difference, right? That the things you do, that there is something about the different aspects to what goes on with your teaching and the different decisions that you make with regards to that. So there's in the several iterations from the editors that we had for this article, like we had a lot more analysis and whatnot. And so I, I can't imagine all the different categories and stuff that we had to cut out to lead to that. But I don't know, I guess, Anne-Marie, I'm going to pass to you like this idea of the moving along the trajectory from the critical learning towards learning bandwidth is my favorite thing. But I wonder if you had something for the the middle, the middle few. I guess we were, we were in analyzing the data, just thinking about all the things that, uh, and seeing all the ways that our students were reporting they what they had learned from um, going through the module and and we were happy that they were learning some technical things, right? Like about how to teach math and things that sort of felt a little bit, we call them technical, like how to put students in groups and how to... It's like what uh, complex instruction is and stuff like that too. Yeah. Right. Task related stuff. And then there were learnings that came out that felt sort of much more substantial and were like hitting like our goals as critical math educators about learning about inequity in math education, that equity and equality are not the same thing, and which is a whole nother, whole nother learning on our part. But also the other thing that came up, and this is something that kind of has been, like, I think it didn't sit well with us, and for me it still doesn't sit well, is there were a lot of students in the interviews and things afterwards that had what we call an I'll try attitude. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so some of the questions we asked in the interviews were about like, well, are you going to go do this great work with your students? And how are you going to take what you've learned in this methods course? You just told us how powerful this was. And so many of them responded with, well, I'll try. I'm going to try. And it just kept coming up in the data and coming up in the data. And it just like, it sort of felt like an out. And I hate to say that, right? I got that maybe their students were saying that because they actually weren't sure if they were going to either be able to walk into a classroom and maybe teach a lesson for social justice or with social justice or about social justice, or what was the hesitancy? How did we fail them that their response is always going to be, well, I'll try because it sort of feels, well, if they try and that first time doesn't work out, I guess I'm just going to go back to pulling out a worksheet. I guess even for us in reflecting on this work, there's more work to be done in really trying to understand what that I try, I'll try means. And is it just a like a defense? Is it what we just wanted to hear? That was the other thing. Were they just being compliant? Yeah, and so you I do guess- state in the article that you didn't follow them out, right? So you don't know. Sorry, Joel, I cut you off. Oh, no, I was going to say, but I could say anecdotally, I've seen some things that have been good from some of the <laughs> students, <laughs> but seeing like even the learning bandwidth side, that kind of goes into the, I'd, I'd like to learn, learning bandwidth means like, do they have more capacity for learning? So at least like from a, a one side, they know that they, they ha- at least have knowledge that there is this other way, right? It's not just the way that I've been taught. 
Like that's, I'm not just going to reproduce that. There is more to this thing called teaching mathematics. So at least bandwidth says, okay, there is more to learn. There's more that I can do. And then also too, having some sort of aspect of them saying, I'd like to learn more. I'd like to learn more of these different strategies and different ways of teaching. And, and that was, if I'm thinking about what I want that learning bandwidth to be as big as possible for my students. So they are trying, they abandon something. They know that still that option is still there at least versus not being exposed to it, right? Is I think at least better. But then also too, mm -hmm. that they have seen resources and strategies and things that they can do in order to do this thing called teaching math better, right? Well, and with that learning bandwidth, I think we were looking at they have this capacity to learn, but what we want to see is this self-efficacy to saying, not just I'll try, but okay, this is how I'm going to start. I have a, an on-ramp, if you may. This, this is my first step. This is my beginning point. And we wanted them to lead with this, like this bandwidth of I have this capacity to do, but also I'm capable and confident and I can move forward. And sometimes we just have to start with a base, but it still has to be a forward emotion and that idea of teaching forward. And I think that was important that we saw in some of our students that I'll try felt defeating to us when we kept seeing it come up and when we really dug deep. But then we had those other students that took it beyond the I'll try with, I can do this. I'm capable of learning. I'm capable of growing. I can do this. And hopefully in an ideal world, you'd want to see more of that. And less of the complacency of that's good. That sounds great. I'll, I'll give it. And that's what we were hoping to lean more toward that teaching forward, that move forward. And I'll say this too. And one, the theme of, of this paper is that the things changed, like context changed from when we started to now. Right. And even too thinking about even that word, I'll try, like I'll try to do anti-racist math education in some places. That's a very political act. That's even could be a, even a dangerous act. Right. to take on in, in some spaces. And so I just want to acknowledge that to step in there and you know, name what you're doing in some of these, there's a different climate. There's a different climate out there. And so, so you know, I would like us to jump a little bit into describing the task. So you have a hundreds grid and you gave mm -hmm. students these hundred grids with colors, like four different colors and some empty boxes on there, right? And there's different, there's, let me see five groups that you gave them and you asked them what this data could represent. Yeah. So they and color then, it, they take ownership of the color. They represent the, that those, the colors on the grid, but they represent the proportions in a table, both the decimal fraction and percentage. So very, fairly straightforward mathy task. And then we asked them to identify or to take a guess at what the colors could identify. So try to name a context that these grids, these five grids with these five different colors could represent. And also to, oh, and the I guess the most important part there is the mathematical observations that they're making. They're making some sort of mathematical observation about their grid or at the collection of grids. So they might notice, hey, there's a very little red on this grid, or hey, there's a, if you added up the gray and the red on this one grid, it adds up to 50%. That was a common one that we would see. And so they make a guess about what the colors represent. I had what different types of footwear people would wear for different Shoes seasons came up. <laughs> favorite this, favorite food, favorite whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Favorite. And so this is what Matt Felton Kessler and colleagues call like a backdoor task, right? Where you provide the mathematical piece and then you reveal 
what the context was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and usually this would take place over several days. And so like that would usually be the cut. All right. So we made our mathematical observations and then we'll come back the next day and reveal or possibly reveal at the end. So we reveal the context that it's in 19, I can't remember which year it was. 1982. 80, yeah. 1982 was the last course taken in high school by these five different race and their ethnicity groups. So it was Alaskan Inuit, pulling up my article right now. You don't have to give us the details, but it, oh, yeah, like, the, the data represented the last high school class taken yep. based on race. Right. And then in the article, I really highly recommend the article because Dan then goes into looking at predictions about what expected income would be 10 years down the road. And so looking at the cost of that anyway. So we looked at it and so then we said, okay, now that the context has been revealed, go back to your mathematical observation and now translate it based off of what you saw. And I think that's where there was a lot of power in making sense of the con. So it helped them make one, make sense of the context and two, see what these different observations were. So that one where it was like red and gray were like half of the grid. Well, that was for Alaskan Inuit Native American took either calculus or no math. So half of the students in 1982, their last class, if they're Alaskan or Native American was either calculus or no math. And people are like, they translate, well, that's what it is. And like, but that doesn't seem right. They're like struggling with it because it felt like there should be more calculus when it's actually like 48% was oh, the no math and then 2% was the calculus. And so like they saw the problematic nature of some of those statistics, but then also too, like, then they're like, well, whoa, that's like a lot of no math or low math. Again, they're being addressed by the data, like that there's some injustice happening, right? They're being like, there's a burden put on them. That seems wrong, right? That seems wrong. And like, why, like all the differences in these grids. And I remember a time Joel and I shared classes at the time I would help or he would be in my class for different things. And one of the classes, there was this aha moment of, wait a minute, like, why did the African-Americans not have as as high level math five years newer? It's going to be better. We're definitely going to have better data. And then when the next set of data was also very inequitable, it's hush across the room. Ooh, that's it. And then they weren't really sure what to do with it. That was where we were able to step in and start some conversations toward thinking forward. Yeah, I was wondering because I have done a different task in this format where the students were like engaging with the math and then later they learned that it was income by race. And I remember that revealing the context almost was like a palpable, holy Mm -hmm. cow moment. And I was wondering if that happened to you all, like you just mentioned, right? That they're like, so there is something about these tasks that is an interesting way of comparing what if you just look at it with no context versus with context. Well, this one felt, I think our students were super engaged because they could, they're not that far outside of high school. So they they themselves could see, find out if I could find myself on that graph. And the other thing we didn't mention at the time when I was teaching at Lehman's and HSI. So all of my students, most of my students are Latinx. And so having a class of black and brown students looking at this graph, we very often had conversations because Becky and Joel were at a, a PWI. And so 
The conversations sometimes were different, sometimes shockingly similar as we went through the activities. But yeah, I think the data being so relatable in a sense, being that they all had just left high school shortly prior to that was powerful. Well, and even to make it more relatable, I remember a comment we were having is, where would you be on the graph? And so even within our own classroom, and I personally came from the Mississippi Delta, which is historically very underfunded. And so my personal high school did not have higher level math offerings. And so even though I was in a higher ed environment, if where I had been on the graph, I would not have had the availability or the access to calculus in my high school at the time. Now I'm old and, you know, requirements have certainly changed through the decades, no doubt, but that they were looking at the data, but then to bring it home to them, Emory saying, what does that look like for you? You just come from high school it made it very personable at that moment for our students as well. So summarizing what we've talked about so far is your paper is a a nice example of a task, or actually it's more like a unit, a, a sequence of tasks that you can use in a methods course to introduce what it might look like to do anti-racist math education. I do need us to wrap up. So I do want to open the space to just say, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap up that you want to make sure you be touched on? I guess for me is just the, because we thought a lot about the activities and the sequence of them. And again, using some of their, this data, but then also tying back into their own stories. I think that's a popular assignment for a lot of folks is doing some sort of math autobiography. We call it a math history just because it's cool. But we do that. And again, so you can find yourself within the grids, but then also seeing, well, who had the power in some of these cases? And a lot of times it was teachers. And so giving agents and trying to make sure that students leave, having that agent, knowing that they have agency in someone else's math history. Right. And so again, going back to the title of the paper, agents of change are instruments of inequity and saying like, you have an opportunity if you're stepping into this role of a math teacher about how influence someone's history or story with mathematics and their relationship. So that's the thing with the activity. And again, other people have other things that they have done. This is just our, and we wanted to share it and we got an opportunity to do that. And so we're appreciative of that. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And for further information on this topic, you can find the article on the Math Teacher Educator website. This has been your host, Ava Thanheiser. Thank you and goodbye.